about me is that I'm weird in that I grew up in the Amazon basin of Venezuela and Brazil. So there's this sort of reality of weirdness that, ac that accompanies that. And so some of the images or concepts that you guys would take as normal, I interpret differently. And so, for example, last night, uh, some of our kids were out doing line dancing, okay? And now, I'll just tell you, and this is the honest truth, when I hear line dancing, I have the mental image of a group of Yanomamu men and women standing in the Amazon outside of their village community holding palm branches and driving the evil spirits out of the village. So I'm trying to reconcile that with you guys. You'll have to bear with me. So if you tell me you've been lime dancing, I'm not really sure exactly how to work that out for myself. I think if don't drive the evil spirits my way if you're going to be involved in lime dancing. No, but in all seriousness, it's, it's good to be with you this morning and uh, it's, it's really a privilege for me to share Psalm 23 with you today and see this really deep, insightful message that David gives to us here. Uh, if you want to turn to that in your pew Bibles, by the way, that's on page 458. If you want to follow along with me there, Psalm 23, I'm going to read that for us, page 458 in your pew Bibles, and then we'll pray together and we'll begin. Psalm 23, a familiar psalm, probably a lot of us could quote from memory, but let's read it together from the Word of God here. It says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever." Let's pray together as we begin. Father, we're grateful, and I trust we understand the significance, or at least some of the significance, of your shepherding care for us, you as Yahweh God, who operates as shepherd king in our lives and who's provided our shepherd king, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I just pray that this morning as we look at this psalm that we can take away a kind of application that encourages us, that challenges us, that helps us to be more faithful as your followers. And ultimately, that leads us forward toward that eternal place of rest for us one day. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I wonder, as we think together this morning about Psalm 23, have you ever been in need of a trustworthy guide at some point in your life? I mentioned that I grew up in the Amazon basin there in Venezuela and Brazil, and while growing up there, I had lots of privileges of hunting and fishing trips with the Yanomamu people because we, we lived three hours from civilization in a small airplane. And in fact, the game reserve that I was living on was about 20,000 square miles of jungle. I dare say that's bigger than your hunting lease. And so one summer when I was in high school, uh, that my Yanomamu friend Rodrigo wanted to take me on a four or five day hunting and fishing trip downriver. 
And he was a person who knew the jungle well, and I thought I knew the jungle well because I'd grown up in a lot of jungle kinds of situations. But as we began to prepare for the trip, and as we went on the trip, I realized how much I depended on a trustworthy guide. So pre-departure, he helped me to figure out what to take with me, what food and clothing supplies we would need, what fish lines and fish hooks we would take to catch black piranha and peacock bass and striped catfish uh, in the river there. In fact, we caught one four foot long that trip, and a little challenging to carry home, by the way, just in case you wondered how many shotgun shells we would need for the trip and hunting alligators and monkeys and taper and wild pigs, wild turkeys. And as we began the journey, he knew what trails we would need to follow to get to our destination that first full day of walking as we walked south on a trail into the middle of what seemed like nowhere. He knew where the canoe was hidden in the jungle that we would then take for a second trip, getting in a canoe and going further down the river. He knew where that pool was that I didn't know about, where all the stingrays were. Clear water, and I was about to step my foot out of the boat into that clear water and saw he grabbed me and poked the sand there with his paddle, and a big black or a big uh, spotted stingray about this big rose up out of the sand and shuffled off. And I can tell you that would have ended our trip rather abruptly if I'd stepped on that guy. So he knew all of that. He knew during our travel how to organize building those triangular leaf shelters that the Yanomami would use in the jungle. Uh, he knew where to gather firewood, how to get dry firewood, how to start fires with wet firewood. He knew how to cook and smoke, build the smoke racks that we would need for all five days to keep that meat preserved because there aren't any refrigerators out there. I've looked and I can't find them. So there's no refrigerators. He knew which pools not to swim in that had piranhas in them. Believe it or not, there are piranhas that can do things. Um, he knew how to tend those fires. He knew how to, as we navigated on the rivers at night, how to spotlight for those red eyes, those alligator eyes that you see there. And you aim, just for what it's worth, you aim right between them with a shotgun. He knew all of that. And when we were packing up to come home, he knew um, where the rapids and rocks were, how we would avoid tipping over, how we'd, you know, the Yanomami we ride in canoes, and you have about a half inch of sideboard above water. So you have to be really careful not to um, tip over. I'm just telling you, it's a little tricky. And so I just remember in our last day of walking home as we carried those leaf and vine-wrapped packages of smoked meat back into the village and dumped them off, how thankful I was to have had a competent guide for a trip like that. In fact, I dare say without his help, I would have done far less, far less productively in the jungle as well as they know the jungle, these brothers and sisters. And I guess my point for you there is that I don't know how you think of the complexity of your life's journey, but I submit to you this morning that we need guidance from one who is competent and trustworthy for the pilgrimage of our lives. In case you haven't figured this out yet, your and my life journey is more fraught and complicated than any jungle trip in the Amazon basin in an unfamiliar environment. And we are continually facing enemies in our lives of ourselves, of the world, of Satan, that seek to distract, disable, and destroy us. 
And so as the psalmist writes this psalm, Psalm 23, he paints scenes, three scenes that we're going to see from his life pilgrimage that illustrate his unwavering confidence in his all-sufficient and ever-present God, his guiding shepherd. The psalmist reassures us that as we navigate our pilgrimage, our perilous pilgrimage through our lives, that God provides for our every need. His sheep, in fact, lack nothing. The Lord, our shepherd, all-sufficient and ever-present. Now, in specific outline, as we take up that topic of the Lord, our shepherd, all-sufficient and ever-present, we're going to see David explaining three key scenes of journey that correspond to God's work over the course of our lives and correspond to God's work in Christ over the course of our lives. So, God at work through Christ in our lives as all-sufficient and ever-present shepherd. The first of those scenes is going to be in verses 1 through 3, where we see the Lord guiding in His provision. So, the Lord guiding in His provision. Secondly, in verse 4, we're going to discuss the Lord guarding in His protection. Guarding in His protection. And thirdly, we're going to see in verses 5 and 6 that He gives generously in His presence. So those will be our three points this morning as we think through the Lord as all-sufficient and ever-present shepherd with us. Now we see this first life scene here where David shows how the Lord, his shepherd, guides in his provision, verses 1 to 3. Now one commentator says that he feels, based on the circumstances here, that this may be a psalm set in the wilderness at the time that David is fleeing from his son Absalom in 2 Samuel chapter 15. Now if that's the case... David is a man in his 60s, and he's too old for a dead pilgrim run from his son as his own enemy. He's too old for that. I'm too old for that now. And so David is, is not certainly in his own capacity prepared for such a thing. But in any case, whether it's then or some other trying circumstance of life for him, he is expressing a perspective of a seasoned pilgrim shepherd a seasoned pilgrim shepherd. And so David opens up with this declarative statement here in verse 1 that may represent the most well-known and perhaps least practiced verse or reality in the Bible. David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now that sentence is an experiential faith declaration of confidence in the Lord as all-sufficient and ever-present shepherd. And if we were going to say that sentence in other words, here's what David would be saying in relating those two propositions together. He's saying, because Yahweh God, so that's the Lord, because Yahweh God is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Or he's saying, because Yahweh God is my shepherd, I have everything I need. Because Yahweh God is my shepherd, I never lack in anything that I need. Really? Really? Does God through Christ really have the capacity to explain that kind of confidence in Yahweh? Does He? Is it possible that a person could see themselves 
so much in the presence before the face of God that they could actually see him as all-sufficient and ever-present in those kinds of terms. So how does David unpack that for us as he talks about God's guiding and provision for his life in that nothing that he lacks there? Well, first, let's notice how David uses the covenant name of God, Yahweh, the Lord. And you know, I I trust that in your Bible, when you see all caps LORD, that that's the use of the covenant name of God, that he uses that covenant name of God to bookend the front and back of this psalm. So he opens in verse 1 with the name of the Lord. The Lord is the one who's his shepherd. He closes in in verse 6 with the name of the Lord. The Lord is the one. Who, who's in whose house he will dwell forever. David is calling on that important image, and, and one of the key issues about shepherding imagery in the, in the Bible is that it covers the whole range of the Scriptures. So he's calling up that covenant name image of Moses in Exodus 3, chapter 14, standing before God, before the burning bush, and asking God to give him an indicator of his presence, who shall I say has sent us? And and God says to Moses, tell them, I am has sent me to you. And so that I am name of God that, that David recognizes as God's promise of sufficient and continuous presence. And just like in the Exodus, the psalmist here, David here, shows the way in which we journey as exiles and wanderers through the wilderness with an I am, with the pilgrimage of life that he describes under the authority, under those bookended authority notes of Yahweh as covenant keeper, as the one who's sufficient and present with us. Secondly, look with me here in verse 1 and following at all of the uses of me, my, and I in verse 1 through all the way through the psalm. Now, typically, we would tell our children and ourselves even sometimes in our better moments not to talk about me, myself, and I. But in this case, David is claiming the connection to Yahweh God as the one who he possesses. In fact, this psalm contrasts to many other contexts in the Scriptures where uh, the psalmists or the writers don't personalize the shepherding care of God to this degree. Like in Psalm 95 as an example where they talk about God in corporate shepherding. But here, all the uses of this first-person pronoun, that would be the I, me, and all of those for you in English class, that those are claims to that intimate, weathered, and personal knowledge of God as David's sufficiency and his presence. My God, my shepherd. In most cases, as I've said, we don't use that kind of language, but the psalmist here is wanting to establish that personal claim to that covenant God that traces then the Lord's guiding of his life through those three scenes that we see here. The first scene of journeying to restful pastures and waters, where God guides through the valleys of shadows in verse 4, where he protects or guards, and then, and then in, to the house of Yahweh there in verses 5 and 6 where he's present with his child. Not only that, but in this stanza and in this first verse, David sets up the reality that God is functioning as his shepherd. Now, I know for most of us, for me, I don't have a lot of connections to shepherding. And I, I doubt, I suppose if I took a poll, I wouldn't see too many hands that say, yeah, I'm a shepherd. 
um, in these days. So I, I don't think we have a lot of shepherds, but this is a key issue in the Scriptures. And so we're going to lean this morning on others who have knowledge of shepherding so that we can pick out, glean out some of the rich content that David's trying to communicate to us here about what shepherds are and what they do. And for example, for our reference, a man named Timothy Laniac, he points to that rich heritage of the shepherding concept. In fact, he calls it the primary metaphor for leadership in the Bible. And so we need to understand that David's Hebrew audience would have connected their personal investments in pastoral work and shepherding work. They would have known that from their personal experience. They would have, in fact, connected that to what I've described it in the Exodus. They would have known the biblical theology of the Exodus in which God as shepherd led his people through the wilderness. And so they would have seen that as part of the historical and cultural reference point for themselves, consummated in that Yahweh God encounter on the mountain of Sinai in which God established himself as their shepherd king. They would have known that he was the all-sufficient and ever-present one, the one who claimed to be that. And they, in fact, would have made those references such that Jesus himself, right in the Gospels, and we'll talk about this, Jesus picks up that shepherd imagery as a natural part of the way he communicates about himself as the good shepherd because he knows the heritage of that metaphor for the the communities in which he was laboring at the time. And so David, as the author of Psalm 23, he too personally would have known that shepherding was a reality. You remember David, where he was taken from? Where does Samuel, 1 Samuel tell us that David was taken from? He was taken from among the sheep. He was a shepherd, right? He, he knows that Exodus heritage as well. He knows all the way back to Genesis 49 that God calls himself the shepherd, the stone of Israel. He's seen the imagery related to God's leading his people out of the wilderness, through the wilderness, with a guiding pillar and a guiding fire and with leading them in, in provision of drink and food in so many miraculous ways and leading them to the house That is his presence in Jerusalem where David resided. So David knew the whole story of the journey and he was experiencing the terminus of the journey in Jerusalem in the the presence of God there. And his son would in fact build that more permanent dwelling place for God after David. And, And David also though, as king of Israel, as one who was described as a man after God's own heart, he felt the personal responsibility of serving as the shepherd king. He, knew, he saw himself as shepherd king. In fact, God established him that way. In 2 Samuel chapter 5, just before the Davidic covenant, the verse there says, 5-2, you shall be shepherd of my people Israel. This is God, Yahweh God, talking to David. You shall be shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. So God himself, in conversation with David, connects his shepherding responsibility to his leadership as king. And so when David says, the Lord is my shepherd, he historically and experientially declares loyalty to a different perspective of covenant God. He understands the responsibility to live by faith in the all-sufficient presence of God as shepherd and king of his life and whose, whose uh, leadership he follows as a shepherd king himself. And because of that heritage and that cultural background, he states, because the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. 
Now, friends, that confidence in the Lord that David is declaring for us contrasts very significantly with what our flesh and the world insist that we need and we lack in life. You realize that, right? Even for those of us who have trusted in Christ as Lord, if we were to write a psalm to represent our, our hearts objectively and frequently, our first verses may sound a lot more like the anti-psalm from our good friend David Pallison, uh, the counselor, and I'm going to quote or at least reframe some of his words of this anti-psalm because I think it helps to contrast and provide a context for often the way that we view shepherding in our lives. This was his rendering of the anti-Psalm 23 of verse 1. He says, I'm on my own as my own shepherd king. No one else looks out for me or protects me. I experience a continual sense of need that I myself try to satisfy. Now, I'm just telling you that we all too frequently live in that kind of way as God's children, and the Scriptures remind us of that instinct to, to wander uh, our felt wants and our, our lacks and our needs that are just not trustworthy shepherds for us. When our hearts manifest those lacks and wants and needs, we must regularly stop and evaluate whether those are idolatrous desires of the flesh and the world or whether they're shepherding leadership from God. When my heart bends toward this or that lack or need that I perceive, does my faith in Christ as all-sufficient and ever-present shepherd grow stronger and steadier as a result? Or do I need to put that perceived lack or want to death through the Spirit in order to find a richer life of followership, a freedom, a wisdom, a joy in growing in trusting Him? So the psalmist here is establishing that contrast. That's the contrast he's building. Either a confident pilgrimage with our all-sufficient and ever-present God on the one hand, that's sane life and faith, or a perpetual journey of isolation, disappointment, and fear. That's insane life and faith. That's the contrast he's painting for us. And so I ask us diagnostically, do we take the time to diagnose those lacks, wants, needs that we perceive in our hearts, and do they incline towards shepherding us? Or does God actually exist in us as the all-sufficient and ever-present shepherd? David is voicing confidence here in the Lord in that kind of way, and he doesn't give any caveats or disclaimers. He doesn't say, God shepherds me most of the time pretty well. He doesn't say that. He goes on, in fact, to show that how the Lord's shepherding nature, who God is, is inseparable from his nurture, what God does. So David goes on to tell us how God's character relates to God's care for him as all-sufficient and ever-present. And we see that as we continue in this first stanza, again, describing that guidance of God as shepherd of his children David uses these couplets in verses 2 and 3 to work through that. That's a common feature of Hebrew poetry in which lines are parallel to one another in descriptive process here. And so the Lord, again, our, our main point, the Lord guiding in his provision for us. 
And here are some of the specifics that David talks about. He says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He, lead me, he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. So in those first two lines, we see David telling us that the Lord's guidance provides that restful nourishment, the, the grasses or the pastures, and a rejuvenating refreshment in the waters. Now, we've got to remember, again, the cultural setting here, because it's not that familiar to us. And I can tell you, when I read this cultural setting, it can feel an awful lot like my heart in many seasons of life, okay? Listen to this and think about your soul as I read this. Dry, rocky, rolling hills covered with sparse and tough grass. Long migrations from one source of grazing and water to another. Timothy Laniac again says that one of the most pressing challenges for shepherds is to provide food and water for animals in environments that frequently withhold these essential elements for life and production. The environment inherently is built in such a way that without shepherding care, the environment itself prohibits and limits health. And so without Christ, this world is a barren place. We're experiencing a kind of world system in which the pressures of self, world, and Satan are acute. And that's why we need the Lord in the person of God and the Lord Jesus Christ to be proactively guiding us as his sheep to pasture provision of refreshment where we can enjoy that grass of his care. And then he also is leading us to refreshing water. In Hebrew, that's literally waters of rest. That's the term there. And so we're not seeing the shepherd leading the people to, or the sheep to stagnant pools, because in stagnant pools, I've tried to drink stagnant water before. It's not that pleasant, oftentimes full of parasites, which make sheep sick and cause problems for them, or rushing wadis, which are these torrential rivers that would flow through the area there. And that would make it such that sheep who would enter in and engage with a situation like that would perhaps be swept away. And you can probably think of your life circumstances on both fronts of that, right? Both in the stagnation and feeling swept away. And so these shepherds are seeking out pasture and water that, re- that provides the sheep reprieve from those scorched, dry hillsides. Restful nourishment in green pasture and water of rest that provide that kind of refreshment. One longtime shepherd said it this way. He said, it is significant that to be at rest, there must be a definite sense of freedom from fear, tensions, aggravations, and hunger. Now for us, friends, those those kinds of, of realities really represent postures of heart oftentimes. They represent assurances of soul. They represent faiths. Do we actually trust that Christ provides that kind of soul rest and soul nourishment for us? Through the person of Yahweh God, does the Lord Jesus Christ, the sent one, provide that kind of help for us? Because after all, he did say that he was the bread of life. After all, he did say that he was the living water. And so when we do trust Christ as all-sufficient and ever-present for the circumstances of our lives... We discover then, as this verse continues there in verse 3, that he restores souls and leads us in paths of righteousness for his namesake. We find that all of his guidance provides soul recuperation 
and restoration and right life pathways for us for the sake of his honor and his reputation. Listen to this explanation again from another shepherd because I can again relate to this. These images of concrete realities are all too spiritually real for my soul and probably yours as well. He says that the sheep have to be led because they will persist in following rutted paths that lead to overgrazing and poor nutritional outcome. That's us, isn't it? Isn't that us? Rutted paths of overgrazing in worry and fear and need and lack and want and desire such that our souls in the process are malnourished. So shepherds have to lead the sheep out of those overly traveled pathways. Those are the uniquenesses of the journeys of life that God has each of us on. Away from dangerous waters to right paths that truly promote the well-being of the sheep, even though they don't understand how God's doing that sometimes, or the shepherd is. And in the process, God in Christ reinforces and confirms his own honor and reputation. Only God can accomplish that, right? Both give us what we need in soul restoration and also display his character. Now, I ask you, do we express that kind of confidence in Christ, guiding provision in this recurring scene in our lives of pilgrimage, even as God is leading us in this process of rejuvenation through Christ? Do we rest in Christ's guidance for us for the sake of God's honor and reputation? Or do we tend, again, to toggle back to these other anti-psalm kinds of words? I'm typically restless, I'm easily frustrated and often disappointed, life's a quagmire for me, I feel overwhelmed, I'm a desert, it's th- I'm thirsty, my soul feels broken, twisted, and stuck. I can't fix myself. I stumble down on certain paths. Still, I insist. I want to do what I want, when I want, how I want. Our shepherd guides us as his sheep in paths of provision of life for our whole being, our souls, so that we can learn order and not disorder, so that we might learn to find life in his character, in his integrity. These, these idea, this idea here of righteous paths connects to those ancient covenant standards of God's law that anticipate our growth in righteousness in the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember maybe that quote from Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16, where the prophet says that the people need to return to ancient paths and good ways so that they can find rest for their souls. And that picture of God building and mending and reconstructing and restoring souls, reconstructing lives and identities and confidences and faiths and trusts and assurances in Him. So the shepherd's guiding provision in our pilgrimage develops us spiritually, individually, As Moses reflected on that image back into the wilderness wanderings in Deuteronomy chapter 8, he he said that that similar kind of thing about those wanderings. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So in addition to the fact that the Lord guides in his provision for his sheep, That's point number one. In this second point, the psalmist explains that he also guards in his protection of the sheep. So he guides in his provision, he guards in his protection of the sheep in verse four. 
and this is a familiar verse to us as well, that verse that says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. In this intensity of pilgrimage scene, the psalmist transitions from those positive pathways of guidance to waters and, and to pastures to these trails that lead into dark valleys. In, in the literal rendering there, those are valleys of deep darkness. So we think of the death image there, but in, in reality there's more to the image than that. Valleys of deep darkness that sheep pass through. And as one author conveys, again, from a, from a pastoral or a shepherding perspective, in the migration, the flock must pass at times in and through the deep, rugged wadis that I mentioned, those dry stream beds cut through the semi-desert hills by the seasonal torrents unleashed by winter rains. The air at the bottom of these wadis is heavy with the rising heat of the day, and the canyon depths are swathed in dark shadows as the rising cliff walls exclude the distant sun. In those moments, provision seems distant. I know we experience those kinds of moments in our lives, and with David in such difficult scenes of life, his address takes a very personal tone. He, he now is directing his speech. You look there, you see now he's directing his speech in a second person pronoun to the Lord. You, your, and your. This increases the intensity of his plea to God now. He's, he knows he has to concentrate on enduring the difficult valley of shadow that God has placed him in there. And indeed, the shepherd confirms, comforts, directs, with his leading character, we see in this verse, as he stays with his sheep, he uses his implements, and we're not familiar with rods and staffs very much. I mean, we have a general sense of what they may look like, but the rod was an instrument that was used as primarily as a weapon of defense to protect the sheep. And the staff was often used as a weapon or as an instrument whereby the, the shepherd would guide the sheep and keep them in line, keep them together. And so even in the deadly shadows, that one, one shepherd says, that fall at dusk in the desert's canyons, there is safety in his presence. Though easily frightened by nature, sheep are. I'd say, though easily frightened by nature, we are. Trusting sheep will move through the shadows without fear. The rod is ready for any predator. The staff nudges wandering sheep back in line rescues others, and is a source of comfort. And so in the midst of these kinds of circumstances, friends, David declares, I will fear no evil. I will fear no evil. Now, in Hebrew, that term can refer to anything from uh, um, a nasty taste to full-on moral evil. And yet, the sheep are taking comfort in the all-sufficient, ever-present shepherd who's with them. So let me ask you again, how do we respond to the many unexpected outcomes in our pilgrimage when we encounter these hard scenes in our lives? I'm, I'm telling you, the older I get, the more exceptions there are than the norm in my expectations being met in life. And I imagine that's true for you as well. Maybe we respond like this, my life's confusing why don't things ever really work out for me? I'm haunted by emptiness and futility, shadows of death. 
I fear catastrophe and final loss. Death is waiting for me at the end of every road, but I distract myself from thinking about that. I spend my life protecting myself. Bad things happen. I find no lasting comfort. That's the opposite extreme that we often live practically as we react to the protection of the shepherd. And so I'd ask you, if you took the time to list your truest hardships of life, what would they be? What would be those valleys of deep shadows for you? Do they still represent for you the leadership of Christ that we trust? Are they still, in effect, paths of righteousness? In our sometimes feeble faith, and believe me, I get it, I get it, we don't fear no evil. We fear evil. Uh, I get that. No, we, we, but we need to realize that no true harm can come to us on right paths with our shepherd through fear-inducing shadows of suffering and loss. No harm can come to us there. Or do we tend to wander off, to veer off, to uh, lose sight of our confidence in Christ as all-sufficient and ever-present? And so I challenge you this morning to take heart in that reality that only Christ as shepherd has those resources that we need. He's the only one who can travel with us safely through all circumstances. All other guides will turn back. You will find that. All guides will turn back. And yet the traveler goes on with Christ through shallow valleys of pilgrimage. After all, right? After all. He declares, I am the resurrection and the life. He declares, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's the way to God the Father on our behalf. So we've been discussing, and this is the last of these three points, we've been discussing that because the Lord is all-sufficient and ever-present, we lack nothing. He's the one who guides in His provision, guards in His protection, and finally, He gives generously to us in His presence, in verses 5 and 6. Those verses again say, you prepare a table before me, In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, this metaphor can be confusing because we have a hard time picturing the sheep sitting at a banquet table. Okay, we don't generally think of that unless we're watching a cartoon. And you're right, so you're on the right track. In fact, there's a shift of metaphor here where the author is shifting and making God the host who is, in effect, the shepherd who's now hosting a guest who comes to him to extend hospitality. In fact, according to the Bedouin law of hospitality, once a guest entered that safe space of a host in the desert, let's just say a shepherd host even, who set up a tent and created a space, that that's guaranteed immunity from enemies who might be attempting to overtake that person. So he's being hosted by a shepherd, and that makes us then the the personalization here. In other words, the Lord is providing as host a generous hospitality for those who are his guests, those who have entered into intimate relationship with him through Christ. As God's renewed image bearers, one author says it this way, this movement from shepherd to host adds a depth dimension of personal intimacy with Yahweh. 
So God, the shepherd host, this is scene three now. This is one of those common scenes in the journey of life. He provides that precious honor banquet of his presence, especially in the face of our greatest enemies. And it's hard for us to conceive of this because we we don't feel this as acutely as we should, but God is providing a banquet for us in the presence of our enemies, in the presence of sin, Satan, and death. And he secured that in the work of Christ. And so he's saying to our enemies, look, here's my chosen son or daughter who dines with me in safety and security. So God lifts our eyes, and I know it's hard at times to lift our eyes, but he lifts our eyes and places us triumphantly in the presence of the enemy, and his all-sufficient and ever-present goodness radiates dignity and respectability and integrity for us through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a lavish generosity that he provides of refreshing encouragement to our souls. And that makes the psalmist say that his cup is overflowing because he's experiencing the bounty of God's presence to such a degree that that provision for his soul is nourishing him and making him overflow with thanksgiving. And that anointing oil, by the way, is similar. I'm not going to spend time with that, but anointing oil was often a mixture of olive oil and perfume. And so hosts would anoint the person coming to the party with that anointing oil to show, again, honor to them. And so we see that as well here. And, and not only that, not only that, but in verse 6, if you look there with me, we see the words goodness and mercy. And they're not only goodness and mercy, but they're goodness and mercy that follow after in English, which actually talks more about pursuit after in the original language. So they pursue after me. So mercy is that covenant love of God that Hesed love of God. It's that love that pursues after the one that he cares for. It's the, one, it's the love that pursues after David in the wilderness when he's fleeing from his own son. It's the mercy, the love that pursues after the heart of a human being who needs to come to Christ in faith. Not something that randomly brings up the rear, but the, the intention of God to pursue after his children. And because of that then, he provides a secure dwelling place for us in the presence of him as host. That foreverness, we often think of the word forever and only think of forever, right? But in truth, it's, it, the word also can mean in Hebrew length of days. So it has in mind there this security of God's pursuing love both in our length of days on this earth and on into perpetuity. I ask you this morning again, do we persist to give thanks as we live in the presence of God through Christ? Is that what our posture is of heart? Do we manifest that kind of confidence before our God? Do, believe, do we believe that God in Christ really has lavished on us a perpetual presence of fellowship? Do, we, do our hearts reflect that kind of gratitude regularly for his steadfast love and fellowship? Or again, one more time, do we operate like this? I'm alone, facing everything that could hurt me. Are my friends really friends? Other people use me. I cannot trust them. No one is really for me except me. I belong to no one except myself. My cup is never quite full enough. I'm left empty. Disappointment follows me all the days of my life. Will I be alone forever, wandering for length of days, free-falling into void? I suspect, again, that lots of 
instances of our lives manifest that kind of attitude rather than the one the psalmist is speaking of here. And yes, indeed, God can spread tables of grace for us in the wilderness. Yes, indeed, he can. The Israelites questioned the same issue, and in our exile as pilgrims and wanderers, he is giving us opportunities for experiencing his provision of presence in grace through the Lord Jesus Christ. Meeting together like this with other of his image bearers so that we as collective sheep share in the privileges that we've heard about and participated in this morning, his word and his prayer and his people, hearing, reading, praying, seeing, seeing him in our faith together. So as we conclude, I, I, I want to read you one more shepherding comment and just listen to this and think about your perspective through the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to this. On some high moor, across which at night hyenas howl, when you meet him, sleepless, far-sighted, weather-beaten, armed, leaning on his staff, and looking out over his scattered sheep, every one on his heart. You understand why the shepherd of Judah sprang to the front in his people's history, why they gave him his name to their king and made him the symbol of providence, why Christ took him as the type of self-sacrifice. That's, friends, our reality that, that reality has to frame the hope of our pilgrimage. We hope in our all-sufficient and ever-present shepherd king, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus walked, in fact, that pilgrim path for us with his Father, and he now lives and reigns as the good shepherd. We find, in fact, prophetic imagery all throughout the Old Testament that points to Christ as shepherd. I'm just going to read a few of these verses for you. I don't want you to turn to them, but I just want you to soak in the heritage of the biblical theology of shepherding that emerges and points straight at the face of Christ as good shepherd. So let me read a few verses here from Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Micah, Zechariah as we close. Isaiah chapter 40, 11. Like a shepherd, he tends his flock. He gathers up the lambs with his arm. He carries them close to his heart. He leads the ewes along. Think of those lost sheep in the parable that Jesus gave to us. Or Jeremiah chapter 3 and 23. And I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. I will provide a righteous branch for you. Ezekiel chapter 34, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. I will seek the lost, I will bring back the strayed, I will bind up the injured, I will feed them in justice. Matthew chapter 2, quoting Micah and Samuel, for out of you, Bethlehem, will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. John chapter 10, again mentioned I am the good shepherd, Jesus says, the one who follows the Father and gives my life. In fact, 1 Peter chapter 2, just one more here, that Peter says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. 
Let me just close by saying these words. Friends, we can't relate to the Creator Shepherd, to Yahweh God, without coming to Him through the Servant Shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know Him? Have you trusted Him? Do you trust Him? After all, from the book of John, Jesus too is the I Am before Abraham existed. He's the door of the sheep. He's the bread of life. He's the living water. He's the light of the world. He's the resurrection and the life. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and He is the Good Shepherd. If you have not put your faith in Him, I I do urge you to do so today. Repent of your sins. Turn to Christ as the Shepherd King who will provide entrance to you into the presence of God forever as you turn from sin to Him, and you can walk in newness of life that way. But if you've repented of your sin and put your faith in Christ, you now know Him as all-sufficient and ever-present shepherd, this creator-shepherd king now, the Lord Jesus Christ who served us. Are you growing in confidence that that's really the case? Can you too with me, and I'm telling you, sometimes I was teaching from Habakkuk this morning in, in the class this morning, and just thinking sometimes it's so hard for us to lift our eyes, so hard. We just get bogged down in the circumstances of life and we have a hard time lifting our eyes. But can we lift our eyes for a moment and say something like this? Jesus is my good shepherd, all-sufficient and ever-present. I lack nothing because he guides me in his provision, he guards me in his protection, and he gives generously to me in his presence all for the nourishment of my soul, and all for the honor of his name. For believers in Christ, I trust as most of us are this morning, we're walking a path that should be a grateful pilgrimage toward an eternity with the triune God. And the book of Revelation, just in closing, closes the picture this way. Listen to these verses and We'll close like this. This is the end of the, of the, of the story, right, in Revelation. It says this, Revelation chapter 7, verse 16, 17. Never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat on them, nor any scorching heat, for the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful to have access to your word as you provide instances, illustrations of your shepherding care for your people. You as Yahweh God, who is merciful in Christ, who has provided us access to the good shepherd in person, who tabernacled amongst us in grace and truth. And so we pray, I pray this morning, that for those who don't know Christ, that they will turn to him. That those who do know Christ will grow in their confidence of him as all-sufficient, ever-present, the one who guides in provision, guards in protection, and gives generously to us with his very presence. And so we ask you for that kind of strengthening, bolstering of hearts and souls and reassurance for this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.